listening to the Retirement Remix Show with financial advisors and hosts Chip Munn, that's me, and John Tate of Signature Wealth Group. Get ready for a bite-sized dose of timely and actionable financial planning and retirement tips alongside remixed retirement stories from real people just like you. Listen in now to be inspired, find direction, and build your own retirement remix. John Tate, what's up, man? Chip Munn, how are you, sir? It's a wonderful Friday, as always. Get to spend a little bit of time and hang out with you, brother. And look at us breaking records on a Friday. I believe this is the most guests that we have ever had on at one time on a show. So we're making history today. And I feel like if we go beyond this, we're going to have to start sending out hospitality writers to our guests uh, pre-show and just doing some thinking. Chip, if you had a hospitality writer, what would be one thing that you would have to list on there that you would need in order to prepare for this show? That's a great question. I would ask for something random that I could only be interviewed in Pig Latin. Well, that. I, I mean, I could go M&Ms in the green room or something like that, but that would essentially just mean in, in situations like this that somebody's shipping me a box of M&Ms and I've got an app that'll do that. So that's not nearly bougie enough. So I'd, I'd have to expand my horizons. How about you? Luke Bryan wants crunchy peanut butter and red solo cups. So, you know. I don't even know how you know that. I had to look it up. Okay. Well, you knew you were going to ask that question. so that's... I did. I was trying to prepare. Brittany and Bethany and Weston, welcome to the show. Would you all have anything on your hospitality writers that you would have to have in order to do a great show? Coffee. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. Same. My addiction <laughs> is going to be fed by somebody. So. Yeah, I've never turned down queso a day in my life. So I, think I, uh, I like it. <laughs> So now we know coffee and queso, John, if, if we ever do a, a big thing, I would have to say though, John, we're going to have to get much better as hosts before we have more than three. I'm hoping that we can hold our own today. We've got our hands full looking back at college. We spent the last three episodes, John, talking about all the different kinds of college options that there are. And we've talked through really the idea that despite the fact that for a lot of us, four-year college has been the path of choice or expectation, maybe at our homes, John, that that's not always the right thing for everybody. And so we've talked a lot about some of the different choices over the last few episodes. And today we've got these kind folks to help us really touch on some of the admissions process. I, I told them in the pre-call that I'm saving money today because I've got two college seniors, but I've also just got a set of senior high school proofs back for senior photos yesterday and a freshman in high school. So I got all ideas, John, that I learn a lot. You've got a little while before you have to deal with the college admissions process with Turner. But what are some of the things, John, over the last couple of weeks that you remember in particular that really stuck with you? We always like to figure out what the right path is for our clients and how to get from point A to point B. And I think the interesting thing about college education or education after high school is that the path may look or go a certain way in the beginning, and then it may branch off in different directions after that. And while we don't necessarily recommend that high school seniors go off to college to quote unquote, find themselves, because that can mean very different things to different people, 
it is about figuring out where your interests lie, what you're good at, and how you work with other groups of people to achieve common goals. So a lot of times what you think or the path you think you're going to embark on may not be where you end up. And that's okay. And that's part of it. And then the other thing as financial advisors, we always think about return on investment. And we think about how much money we're spending in order to get a specific benefit. And is that the right way to think about a college education? I mean, we are spending money on it. It is an investment, but what is the long-term goal that we're looking for? And how do we figure out how we've succeeded? Is it personal happiness and choosing a career that we truly enjoy going and getting up and doing every day? Does it have to do with how much money we earn is a little bit of both? Hopefully the folks that we've assembled on this call today, like the Avengers can help us answer those questions. The academic Avengers. I like that. Maybe that'll be the title of today's episode. John, as you were talking, one of the things that struck me was that this college planning process is a lot like an abbreviated, more intentional version of life, right? It's the first time for a lot of young people that they're thinking about, what do I really want to do with my life above and beyond just the get up mom and dad shouting at me over the alarm, trying to get me somewhere, you know, it, where they're really taking a little bit of agency over what's next. So it's a cool time in life. We've seen a lot over the last few weeks, the freshman arrival pictures. And, and now we're going to talk a little bit about how we get there and maybe how we either save some money, find some scholarships, all those kinds of things. So John, we're joined today by three, not only are they awesome people like the Avengers, they all kind of have kind of come at this thing from a different place. Weston Nunn is the director of college placement at Trinity Collegiate School. We've got Bethany Fee. Bethany is an admissions counselor at UNC Greensboro. And we've got Brittany Privet. And Brittany is representing the 910. She is a regional representative for the College Foundation Incorporated. So, Weston, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, my name is Weston Nunn. I'm born and raised in Florence, South Carolina. I grew up in Florence and said I'd never be back in Florence. Uh, I'm out of here. Here I am. But I've been at Trinity Collegiate School for the last seven years as a teacher and college counselor. I actually taught both Hampton and Carson in social studies at Trinity Collegiate. So it's crazy that Hampton is getting his senior pictures now. Because I remember just the other day when he was a freshman in my world history class. But I'm a huge nerd. I'm father of three, two are in the oven. We're expecting twins in late January and we have a 20-month-old, my wife and I. I like to read. I like to cook. I like to play golf poorly. And that's pretty much that big humanities and social studies nerd. Awesome. Bethany, how about you? Good morning. My name is Bethany Fee. I do work in undergraduate admissions at UNC Greensboro. I've actually been in admissions now for 19 years. 17 of those have been with UNC Greensboro. I am remote, meaning that I have actually not worked on campus for about 10 years. I'm in the Wilmington, North Carolina area and loving it here. I have two children that are bonus children, and they are actually almost through college. And then I have two younger ones in elementary school. Um, my husband and I actually met through this profession. He works on the other side of the desk, or did for a long time. He was a college counselor at a high school. And so we taught college all the time. And we drive our kids crazy all the time, but we kind of feel like it's always changing and evolving. And we're 
very passionate about education in general and higher education. And I have an identical twin sister who I'm super close with and her and I are first gen college students. We never even thought college was an option until our senior year of high school. So um, I like to talk to students all the time about how life-changing a college education can be. Thanks so much for having me today. That's awesome. And Brittany, how about you? Hey, uh, yeah, so my name's Brittany Primitt, and I work closely with Bethany down in Wilmington. I am the regional rep for the College Foundation, and my background, like Bethany, is in admissions. That's how we met years ago. I worked for two different UNC system schools for about eight years and caught the higher ed bug and loved traveling to high schools and talking to students about how to plan for their future, whether it be for a certificate at a community college or going all the way up to the doctorate level. There's so many different paths that you can take. So I love being able to work with students and kind of help them dispel a lot of the myths about college and, and empower them to kind of choose their own path. I come from an education family. My mom was a teen parent, but she is a principal up in Wake County now. So I have a kind of no excuse mentality when it comes to education being kind of your gateway to access to the lifestyle that you want. I have two brothers who are teachers. Weston, one of them is a, a social studies teacher in seventh grade. And I have another brother who's a third grade teacher. So most of my family are in this education realm in some way. And it's pretty much my life's calling, I would say. I really love working with students and kind of opening doors for them that they didn't think could be opened. So I'm excited to talk to you all today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I used to teach sixth grade language arts and South Carolina history. So I was a teacher for a year, which if you say it really fast, sounds like teacher of the year. So people think you were actually good at it. I, on the other hand, just struggled through as a 22-year-old teaching 12-year-olds. And I think that was just my preparation for having all these boys around my house. So Weston, tell us a little bit about when you're walking young people through, what are some of the things as you start to look at the college planning process from the high school counselor's standpoint, what are some of the things that you talk to students about? I operate from the premise of, and Bethany and Brittany can feel absolutely free to either support or contradict anything that I'm going to say, because you guys have admissions experience at the other level. But essentially, I operate from the premise of, you know, we don't want this decision to be made lightly and off the cuff during senior year. And so we try and sort of make sure that students are preparing themselves in one way or another throughout the high school experience for it. Now, it doesn't mean that kids when they, you know, okay, first day of freshman year of high school, so where do you want to go to school? Or what do you want to major in? Or what are you good at? Or whatever it is. But to really be thinking long-term age appropriately about what to do. One of the big things that the colleges look for and that you can actually begin really thinking about with your students in the ninth grade, in the 10th grade as well, is doing as absolutely well as they can do in school. Sometimes I use the, the analogy of high school is like a multi-lap track race. And if you drop the ball on their first lap, it's going to be really hard to make up ground. So your freshman and sophomore year, what I emphasize to the kids is during the school year, do as well as you can in all your classes, because that GPA is going to be really, really important. And when you're taking high school classes, like English one, algebra one, whatever, it counts. And to be really diligent about learning as much as you can, doing as well as you can, and also throughout your high school career, not just in your ninth and 10th grade year, but taking that balance of like the most challenging classes for you that you can take and also doing well in them. If, you know, taking six AP classes your sophomore year is going to cause you to crater, then don't take six AP classes. 
find that sweet spot and you can talk to whoever does the scheduling at your school to help you find that Aristotle's golden mean, that sort of, you know, middle ground between not rigorous enough and then too rigorous. So ninth and 10th grade year, really focus on in the classroom, doing as well as you can. And throughout your high school career, but not just in ninth and 10th, try to get involved. The goal is not to pad your resume with just, you know, I was a member of 50 different clubs, but do something with it. Find something that you're interested in or find a core group of things that you're interested in and participate in extracurriculars. Try a new sport you've never tried. Join a club that has an interest that you're passionate about. Or if there isn't one, then start one up. What colleges like to see is not that you were a member of however many different clubs, but that you actually did something with that club itself. So if it was a major service project that you help organize, or if it was an initiative that you started, or if you know have a passion for politics and you want to start a high school Republicans or high school Democrats or high school socialists or whatever it is, club, and then you know register voters, help with that, or you know increase awareness. Colleges like to see on extracurriculars that you use your extracurriculars to kind of flex organizational skills, time management skills, that you give a crap about stuff and you are actively working towards goals. And so with extracurriculars, it's not just quantity, it's the quality. So finding that is really, really important. Anything you can show off to colleges is great. So always be focusing on your grades, always be focusing on you know ways that you can demonstrate to colleges that you have the kind of skills and interests that would make you a success there. When college reps start coming to campus, go and take a look, go and take a listen, collect literature, You don't necessarily have to know that you want to go there or not. Just go soak it up, listen to the presentations, take the literature they give you. And if you go to a college visit and they ask you for your email address, give it to them because if they give you a send out a card or whatnot to fill out who is there, that can potentially have an impact on admissions for something called demonstrated interest, where colleges, whenever they start sending you stuff as students, whenever they start sending you stuff through email, open and read those emails because some colleges actually track who opens their emails, who takes a look at their flyers, who even responds because that way, you know, when they get applications, they can gauge, well, is this person even interested in our school or do they treat us as an afterthought? And so that's something called demonstrated interest. Some colleges are really big on demonstrated interest. Others aren't. A quick anecdote. I was told at a conference by um, an admissions counselor that they had a student who was applying. I won't say which college this is, but a student had applied to a bunch of Ivy League schools and a private university in the state of South Carolina. And the student was accepted and ended up going to an Ivy League school, but was waitlisted by one of these private universities in the state of South Carolina. So they had Ivy scores, they had Ivy credentials, and was waitlisted by a private university in South Carolina. And the reason why is because. That person had never opened any of the emails or demonstrated any interest from their software that he even cared about the school. So they figured this person maybe sees us as a second option. We're not really sure. And so got waitlisted. So just read the stuff the colleges send you, open the emails. If you have brochures and stuff, keep them in a file at home just so you can collect information on these different colleges and universities of different types, big public, small private. The 11th grade year is when things kind of start to get crucial. Certainly in the 11th grade year, you want to begin taking standardized tests. 
the ACT, the SAT. You're certainly free to take it whenever, but I mean, these tests are written at a certain level and you want to make sure that when you're taking these things on a Saturday and paying 50 to $60 an administration fee, that you're going in with the skills that you can actually take the test and succeed. There is a national dialogue has been on the usefulness of standardized testing. It's been going on and COVID has really sort of brought that out into the open. And I'm sure that Bethany and Brittany can really corroborate that as well. But take the SAT, take the ACT, figure out which one is good for you or better for you. If you think about it, the ninth and the 10th grade years, learning as much as you can, challenging yourself, that's kind of preparation for success on the SAT and the ACT. But really being deliberate your junior year about taking those tests, getting them in, figuring out which one works for you, which one you do better at. And that's going to be a really important piece there. Hey, Weston, can I ask a question real quick? So yeah, you're sure, suggesting yeah. then that as a high school junior, when I took the SAT on a Saturday after a football game against my rival on Friday at their school, after we lost, I was probably not setting myself up for success. Right. I mean, it seems to me as if I did that part all wrong. That's tough to hear. Uh, luckily, it worked out. Now, Bethany, if I could ask you on the topic of scores. So Weston got us to the point of we're figuring out SAT, ACT, kind of looking at the scores from an admissions counselor's perspective. How important are those? Well, prior to COVID, they were more important. <laughs> I mean, there has been a national dialogue about them and if they're biased and if they're fair and all of that. But for the UNC system, we required them up until last year. We offered a waiver. This year, we're offering that waiver. I have no idea what will happen next year and into the future. But there has definitely been a shift. Um, I know myself personally, I review freshman admission applications and I have done so almost 20 years. And so when we went test optional last year, I was scared. I was terrified. But we're really looking closer at all the additional information a student sends us and then as well as their high school transcript. And to be very honest, if a student has a score, I'll look at it, but I don't even miss the scores anymore. I cannot believe how in one year time we've evolved so much. I think it's exciting. I think that we're looking closer at the high school, the environment, how those students in that high school are doing at our university. We are tracking every contact that a student makes with our school. So if they attend an open house, that is tracked. That's part of that demonstrated interest that Weston was mentioning. We keep every email. We note every phone call. So just be aware of that. We're here in the admissions office to always help parents and students. But always be aware that we are also recording everything that you do with us. And so I tell students all the time, you should be leading this. You should be driving this car with your parents in the back seat, helping you. But you should be the one making the phone calls. You should be the one talking to the admissions counselor at the open house or tour or whatever it might be. Just keep in mind, we are looking at all of that now. Without those test scores, we're kind of paying more attention to those small details. And I see you, Brittany, raising your hand. I mean, is that resonating with you? Absolutely. And I think one thing I want to also add when it comes to the, the test scores, one thing I just want to make sure all students understand is that you don't walk around with a t-shirt with your GPA or your SAT score on it. It is not a huge part of your identity. So just know that that's one part of the college admissions process. They're looking at you as a whole student, but the SAT and the ACT are also recruitment devices for colleges. So when you take this test, you are 
showing colleges that one, you're interested. So colleges actually buy names from the SAT and the ACT based on different demographics. So if I'm recruiting at a university that is really in need of diversity, they can go to the SAT and say, I want minority males who scored between this and that on the SAT from the Greensboro area of North Carolina. And they can buy those names and actually start mailing students their brochures. So you don't actually get those brochures by chance in the mail. You get them because school has already expressed interest in who you are based on your SAT and how you took that test. So even though it may not be factored into your decision at this point because of COVID, thank you for that one blessing that COVID has given us, that students don't have to rely as much on their scores. It is a way for colleges to start hooking you. So I just want to make sure students and families are aware it is important to take that test seriously because that may trigger a school that you've never even heard of out in Minnesota to start recruiting you based on your scores and your demographics. Weston, I know that you have some experience with that too. Yeah. And because of the sort of the nature of this show, it's, you know, very much geared towards making good financial decisions and, and thinking about the money aspect of college. It is important to note, we have something like five, 6,000 colleges in the United States, and everybody's going to do things a little bit differently. But one thing with the SAT or the ACT to keep in mind, again, it depends on the schools that you're applying to. And I always tell parents and students, if you have a question, just go to and call their admissions office. Like, don't just assume, well, because this one state university does it this way, another one in the same state will do it another way. But with SAT and ACT, one thing you want to keep in mind is this, that schools, when they are test optional, it's always good to ask yourself, are you test optional for this for the sake of admissions only? But what about scholarships? Because there are some colleges and universities that are definitely going to be test optional for admissions. But if you elect not to send your scores as part of your application, you may box yourself out of qualifying for the most lucrative and generous scholarship packages. So there are some colleges, and again, how that works is going to vary from college to college. There are some colleges who will come out and say, we don't care. We don't take any of that into account. Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee is one that will say we are blind to that for admissions and for scholarships. Others, you can get certain scholarship packages You just may not be able, if you apply test optional, to get the most generous one. So if you are applying to a school that's test optional, call admissions, call financial aid and say, hey, how can the submission or non-submission of scores affect scholarship packages? Brittany, it seems like it also is a situation where just making those phone calls demonstrates an interest that just actually picking up the phone and asking your question of somebody, it sounds to me like, kind of gets ticked off somewhere. They're making marks of that. And so it seems to me like, to Weston's point, if you've got a question about how the SAT works at a given school, how it factors into scholarships, am I right, Bethany, that just making those phone calls is helpful? Yes, definitely. And keep in mind, every college has a good number of admissions counselors just waiting there to help you with this process. So you probably have counselors at your high school They're going to help you day in and day out, but keep in mind, every college, there's a good group of people that are just there wanting to help you and your parents through this. And just to talk about financial aid and those kinds of things, because we were talking about that and scholarships and that, but Brittany, talk a little bit about FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid and why that's so important. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So like I said, I come from an admissions background, but now I work more in the world of financial aid and they could not be more different, especially personality wise. I'm definitely an admissions person when it comes to my personality, but financial aid is a huge part of college access. And I have a lot of families who say, well, I make way too much money to even bother with the FAFSA. That is just for people who need money to go to college. And that's not the case, especially nowadays. It is really important for you to complete the FAFSA, which is the free application for federal student aid to open up the doors for tons of different types of financial aid. So I like to tell people the term financial aid makes it seem like you may need money, whereas it really is a term to help make sure that families can bridge the gap between going to college and going to college in debt. Like we all are all on the same page, college is an investment in your future. And so everybody may need some assistance with that. Free money has never hurt anybody. So the FAFSA is your gateway to free money and then also some of that money that you may be borrowing for the future. But overall, the FAFSA, what happens is it opens October 1st every year. And we highly encourage students to complete the FAFSA in the month of October because that money is first come, first serve. So in states like the state of North Carolina, We've run out of financial aid money in the past. So the earlier students do the FAFSA, the more money they're entitled to. And what happens is the federal and the state government are going to take in consideration how much your parents make, how many people live in your household, and how many of those people are attending college. They will then come up with a number called the EFC or the expected family contribution. And that's how much the federal government says that your family can contribute to your child's education. It is not lost on me that the federal government and your bank account may not be on the same page. So it is okay to, again, communicate with colleges and reach out to financial aid offices to express that there's been a loss of income since you completed your taxes last. Or if COVID has really affected your family's financial situation, there's tons of reasons why your taxes and your bank account may not be on the same page. So it is important, no matter what part of the admissions or financial aid process you're in, is to communicate with these colleges. Because like Bethany said, there are people at the college that are there to help you. And with those families who say, well, I'm not going to do the FAFSA because I'm only going to be offered loans because my EFC is going to be too high to receive any grant money, there are schools out there, wink, wink, Bethany, who have gotten hit to the game and understand that there's those families may need assistance too. Like it's okay to ha- need some money to go to college. So some schools are looking at the families that are only going to qualify for loans and they're offering them scholarships. What some schools call a middle-class scholarship for those families who are right in the middle. They may not be able to qualify for grants or scholarships through the FAFSA, but they may not make just enough to pay for college right out of the pocket. They're offering supplemental grants, but you have to do your FAFSA first. Or if you're applying to a national scholarship that is tied to federal funds, like the National Wildlife Fund or something like that, they may require that a FAFSA be on file, but they may not need to see that you need money. So it's not necessarily based on your EFC. It's just based on showing that you have filled out this federal document to get a snapshot of where you are financially so that colleges can kind of help bridge that gap for you. So I'm a huge, huge proponent of the FAFSA because I feel like it is a great gateway to access to just free money to go to college. Also with work study, if you or anything like me, I definitely was one of those students who had to work while I was in college. And I think it definitely made my college experience more fruitful. But 
when I was in college, my mom was a teacher at my first year. So I qualified for work study. I was a tour guide in the admissions office and I was paid through my financial aid. So the federal government said you could get paid up to this amount throughout the semester if you had a job on campus. The next year, my mom was in administration, so we did not qualify for work study, but I got to keep the same job on campus. They just paid me out of the admissions office budget. But work study is an opportunity for you to get some extra hours on campus when it comes to working, structure your time, and make some extra money so that you can go and have fun and go to the movies or go eat off campus and stuff like that. So the FAFSA is gonna be your gateway to so many financial opportunities, whether you qualify for that need-based aid or not. So I really encourage students to go ahead and get that done in the month of October. But the tricky thing is, sorry, John, no, one other thing, North Carolina does require that you complete a residency form to qualify for those state grants. So regardless of where you're going to school in North Carolina, you have to fill out the FAFSA and the residency form to receive in-state tuition and state grants. Neither of them are fun forms. Nobody throws a FAFSA party every year. It is not fun, but I promise you it's going to open a lot of doors for you financially when it comes to bridging that gap between going into debt and graduating with very little debt. And I must have done college wrong because I didn't have any fun while I was there. Maybe it was because I didn't have a job for part of it, extra <laughs> spending money. But I should have probably done that. It seems like from listening to all three of you, it's a completely different process from when I went to school. I feel like there was a lot more flying by the seat of my pants kind of thing when I got into school. And there's a lot less of that now. And because you touched on it earlier, Weston, I am going to tap Bethany to talk about AP classes and scores. And one of my favorite teachers in high school was my AP history teacher, Miss Sasser, Sandra Sasser. She was kind of a wild card in the classroom, which drew me to her. But, you know, AP classes are definitely an important part of it or were an important part of it for me. But Bethany, I don't know if you want to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, sure. Weston had mentioned earlier that colleges, the admissions offices are looking for you to challenge yourself, but also do well in those classes. So, of course, that means usually junior, senior year, maybe even a little earlier, you're looking at either AP or IB or dual enrollment, just depending on what your high school offers. Um, I'm going to touch on dual enrollment first. Dual enrollment courses, those are usually at a community college or a university, and you can usually transfer those into the school that you're eventually going to attend. AP, IB are a little different. They're often at your high school, and you'll have to take an exam. Um, so students oftentimes, when I, I meet with students, they talk about the number of APs that they're taking or the number of dual enrollment courses. And they kind of are just looking at it as a tool to get in the door. Um, and I always like to kind of talk to them about what does this mean for you and your family? Why take these classes? With my stepson, it was very motivating to go through this process. He took the classes a lot more serious after we kind of looked at what does it mean to have these courses? Um, most students that are coming to college nowadays do have a good number of college credit already. And so what that means and what I recommend to parents is when you're talking about your schedule for the following year in high school, you know, with your college counselor, look at the classes that you're wanting to take, those either dual enrollment classes or the AP courses, and look at the college's website that you're considering. Maybe it's just two colleges that you're thinking of or three colleges. It doesn't necessarily have to be the schools that you're going to attend, but every college will put on their website how classes transfer in and also what AP scores mean. 
And so it's very easy. The UNC system is really good with having all of this information on every single school's website. You can easily pull up, you know, if you're taking, say, an English class at a community college, you need to make a C or better for UNC system schools to that transfer in. And that could mean a three or four credit hour English class that you already have then when you start college. So that's saving you going to class a couple times a week to that, that class and paying for that class as well. You already have three or four credits. So then if you start looking at APs, and this is what really what worked with my stepson, was generally a three or higher will get you at least one college class. But it is amazing. I think about the conversation my stepson and I had about his statistics class, his AP stats class, which he did not love. But a three or higher got him two math classes. And so that motivated him the entire semester to do well in that class and do well in that exam. So you can easily, through AP scores, dual enrollment, IB, whatever you're taking, you can head off to college with 15 credit hours already or even 20 or even more. The average student at UNCG right now is coming in with 15. That's already their freshman first semester done. So you are saving then all that time, all that work, and all of that money in tuition, textbooks, housing, dining. It's amazing. So I try to let students and parents have the light bulb moment where it's like, yes, these classes look great on a high school transcript, but what do they mean for you when you actually are at that college? I mean, it really does motivate students to take those classes very seriously and do well um, in those classes and on the exams, because again, it could be life-changing for you. You could go off to college with a year already taken care of, and then you can start grad school earlier or graduate earlier and get out into the workforce earlier. So it's definitely something to look into. And your college counselor at your high school usually is the first person that can kind of help you figure this puzzle out. But then don't be afraid to reach out to the admissions offices of the schools you're considering. We'll get you the website. We'll tell you exactly how classes transfer in and we'll help you through the whole process. That's, again, what we're there for. You mentioned I've heard the word needs money a couple of times. I think Brittany said, I can tell you as the person, not only do I have two seniors in college, so I'm limping my way to the end of that. But also, John and I spend a fair amount of time this time of year sending out 529 money that people have put away for kids college. And I see a lot of the number one, the amount that some colleges cost. I mean, it's very easy these days to see 75 grand is not uncommon for us to see. And I've seen students whose parents do well have cut what would have been a $55,000, let's say, private tuition to 30. I kind of look at money when it comes to college like chocolate. I might not need chocolate, but I need chocolate. And I think that that's the way that when we're talking about this, it's important for folks to understand. We're talking about things. It's easy for them to be abstract. It's a big difference for folks who are listening when we're talking about kids or grandkids and you start to get the loan bills in the mail if you haven't paid them. And a big thing for me, and John and I have talked about this, is options. You just want to maintain the number of options you have. And by being systematic, as kind of our guests are talking about, about how you apply for college and how you get in can oftentimes, I think, affect the trajectory financially of how things are going to work out for you. And so I think that being mindful of that, it makes a big difference to do that on the front end, because what it does do, 
Bethany, I'm a big believer that I'm not looking to necessarily rush my kids through college. I'd like for them to graduate on time. I get it. I was a kid. I'm surprised. Thankfully, he doesn't listen to the podcast, I don't think. But my oldest is not going to hit me for one extra football season at Clemson. I was kind of wondering, but he's only got eight classes left. So I think we can finish those in two semesters. But what those things do is they leave money for other things extracurricular stuff. If you wanted to take a class during the summer, I spent a semester at Wofford College and they had a Maymester and kids were going and taking marine biology off the coast of Miami or, or Puerto Rico or something like that. There's only so much money to go around. And so by being diligent in how we apply for these things and pay for them, I think it can lead to opportunities, not just graduating early, it can lead into helping to pay for post-secondary, you know, getting into your master's degree, medical school, law school. So I think there are a lot of things. John, you didn't have a work study. You just hung out for four years. I waited tables and bartended and saved up money that way, which was good, although it's just, it's a completely different time schedule. So doing that one night and then waking up early for class the next day, didn't always go hand in hand. So that I may not have graduated in a traditional four year. It might've taken four and a half years. Your parents were kinder than mine. I did use that money to study abroad one summer. I went to Oxford, England and took some English classes because I was an English major, took some classes over there and did some other things. Some of the extracurriculars, we were able to go to Amsterdam on a long weekend. And that's probably another podcast all on its own. I don't know that we want to delve into that today, but. Cheerio, governor. Yeah, I didn't realize that you're an international (laughs) man of mystery. Before we go around, and I want each of our experts to kind of give us a quick, like if there was one piece of advice that you could give kind of before we wrap up, but I will tell you, John, I had a work study job and it was through college admissions. I won't say which one. But I was on the football team my first semester of my freshman year. I didn't play football. I was on the team my first semester of my freshman year. And my work-study job as part of kind of the package that they put together was I was responsible for keeping an eye out for whether or not there were light bulbs out in the gym. Now, I didn't have to change them. (laughs) And I didn't necessarily have a set schedule as to when it was that I was supposed to check. But if I saw a light bulb, out in the gym or kind of the athletic facility. I was supposed to let somebody know so that they could get it changed. So you never know what kind of work study job you might get, particularly, frankly, if you're an athlete. And so it's always interesting kind of how these things go, but they are a puzzle. There are a lot of pieces that we've kind of touched on. Weston, if you could give folks one piece of advice when planning for, paying for, or applying to college, what would it be? I would say give yourself options. This is a family decision, right? So as a family, crunch the numbers, figure out what you know your student is looking to do, what they're interested in at this point, keeping in mind that it can change. Because so many people nowadays have a bachelor's degree. It's become almost sort of like your entry-level ticket into doing other things. So you want to hit the balance between the prestige of the degree, but also the cost. 
apply to in-state and out-of-state schools. And it may be that it is better financially for your student and for your family to go to an in-state school where, for example, you could be eligible for more state grants and financial aid. Like in South Carolina, you have the Life Scholarship, the Palmetto Fellows in Georgia, you have the Hope Scholarship, Florida, you have the Bright Future Scholarship, et cetera. Because, you know, if you're looking to get a history degree and you can do it less expensively in-state and graduate with less debt, that's going to pay major dividends down the road. And it could be a better way to start life out without having the average is $30,000 per student of debt. And trying to minimize that as much as you can can really set the stage for your quality of life later on. So, I mean, I would recommend going with that mix of like quality of degree, but also of cost. Because one thing I've been told, you know, about medical school, for example, if you go to NUSC for medical school, you're going to be sitting in those lecture halls with people from Wake Forest, Francis Marion, Wofford, North Carolina, wherever, you know. And the fact is, if you got your degree for a fraction of the cost of going out of state, then you're in a better financial position and you're in that same classroom with all those people who had gone to different schools. So give yourself options, really crunch the numbers and see where the best financial picture is as you know, squared with the quality of degree. And ultimately, choose in-state schools to apply to out-of-state schools and then just see who comes up with the better offer. I think it's interesting to kind of flip the script right, of who comes up with the better offer, because I I think that that's interesting to know. Now, I don't know that it's necessarily always public knowledge that colleges do come back with what the package looks like. Bethany, if you were to give one piece of advice, somebody who is helping a kid or grandkid plan for college, or if by some miracle, we've got just brilliant young people who are listening today, what kind of advice would you have for them? My number one piece of advice is pay attention to deadlines. I always tell students and parents, don't let the reason be that you didn't get admitted or you didn't get a scholarship be because you missed a deadline. That is so silly. If you're not going to get something, make it be good. Make it a good reason, not missing the deadline. And there's admissions deadlines, but then after the admissions deadlines, there's scholarship deadlines, there's financial aid deadlines, there's housing deadlines, there's orientation deadlines. There are so many deadlines. Create a Google calendar. The student can share that with the parents or the grandparents, whoever's helping with the process, and put each school's deadlines on that Google calendar. Choose a color for each school. Just keep track of it. And then as you go through your senior year and you start narrowing down the colleges, you'll already have the deadlines for whatever school you're going to end up going to already laid out. But admissions deadline is just the first one. There are so many that follow. And so many times that good stuff, you know, the free laptops, the grants for housing, there's so many things out there right now in this COVID world, but all of that is driven by certain deadlines. And it's, 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 you know, the first ones to apply, the people that meet the deadline are getting all that good free stuff. Awesome. And if you're not a detailed person, get a detailed person in your life, because I suffer from that, right? Is that I'm not necessarily the detail guy. Fortunately for me, my wife is incredibly detail-oriented. And so, again, I think you're right, Bethany. And that's a great point, not only to keep up with, but also to find a team member if you need to. Again, whether it's a parent and a child, a grandparent and a parent, or just spouses. Uh, Brittany, how about you? One piece of advice. Well, can I do one and a half, Chip? Anything for you. So to tag along with what Bethany said, I would definitely say check your email every day, every single day, more than once. 
high school students, I don't know why, but they think that the information is just going to just come to your brain through osmosis and or saying like, oh, I didn't know is an excuse when you have an email inbox chock full of information um, that you have to keep up with. So I definitely recommend that students check their email every day, get in the habit of doing that. But I think one of the things that I've learned in the two years I've been with the College Foundation is that our community colleges are a hidden secret. They don't get enough love. There are some amazing programs in North Carolina alone when it comes to the community college level. We have one of the best taxidermy programs at Montgomery Community College in the nation. I live here in Wilmington and Cape Fear Community College actually has a marine technology program where they have their own ship and they go on excursions and they learn how to support scientists. There's a gunsmithing program at a few colleges out here. There's tons and tons of different untapped resources at our community colleges. And this fall, the state of North Carolina with extra COVID funds is paying for all of our high school graduating seniors to attend community college for free. So there are so many options at our community colleges, whether you want to transfer or just get a two-year degree that's going to lead you into a lucrative career. I think we have pushed four-year schools enough over the past decade to where we have a lot of students who are getting that four-year degree and like Weston said, going into kind of entry-level credential, whereas right now we really need that workforce to development. We need linemen. We need landscape developers. We need computer engineers. And all of those things you can do at the two-year level, graduate with little to no debt, and really support the workforce and the economy in your local area. I don't think students realize you can go away to community college. I worked in Asheville for a long time, and AB Tech actually has an awesome brewing program. So you can learn how to make beer in college and and get a two-year degree and go out and start making a lot more money than people with four-year degrees at this point. So I really want to make sure that people are exploring their options, like Weston said, and with with those options, knowing that community college is just as valuable as going to a four-year program. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. John, any closing thoughts? Well, I think we've got a lot of good information here and we've come up with some potential topics for other shows where it be chocolate or beer or international travel, whatever it is. uh, We now have some great ideas. Well, and I would just say first, thank you to the guests. You all were wonderful. And I am sure we'll get a lot of questions that we will certainly forward your way. But if you're listening and any of this or all of it either appeals to you or scares you to death. Let me just tell you that one of the things that, if nothing else, during our time together we've highlighted is that there are a lot of choices. This is a big puzzle to put together, but it's also a big financial deal, whether you're looking at how you're going to pay for it up front or how you might help a child or grandchild deal with kind of the after effects of if there were debt and really kind of budgeting and figuring out those. Either way, colleges without a question, not only is it a lifestyle decision, it is definitely a financial decision. So if it's something that is upon you, or if you're like John Tate and you've got seven or eight years to work on it for your student, if you'd like some help with that, we're here to help. Don't hesitate to call any of our signature wealth offices and we'll be happy to work with you on your college planning. John, I look forward to seeing you again next week. Next Friday, sir. Here we have it, another great episode. If you'd like to continue the conversation, here are four ways that we can help. First, complete the Retirement Success Scorecard to discover whether or not you're on track to a successful retirement on your terms. You can find this at signaturewealth.com 
slash scorecard. Second, get a complimentary copy of my book, The Retirement Remix. Whether you're interested in real-life retirement stories and inspiration from others like you, or you want to learn more about Medicare and Social Security, it's all in there. Go to theretirementremix.com to grab your copy. Third, listen in on bi-weekly office hours with our team. We host live virtual office hours to share new investment and planning information and answer your money, markets, and retirement questions. Find the details to join us at SignatureWealth.com slash office hours. And fourth, schedule a complimentary strategy call with one of our advisors to make sure you're on track toward your ideal retirement. Go to SignatureWealth.com and select the Signature Wealth office closest to you. We'll be back here next week for more on the Retirement Remix. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.